And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 245 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. I'm not going to ask how it's going this week. Yeah. Uh, I'll just, uh, I'll summarize it by saying, um, yeah, my family was quarantined all week. My week was spent dealing with car insurance and chaos at work and everything else. Like, it's been all week. Uh, So we are going to just jump straight into comics because we've got a bunch to talk about. I was going to say, we need to, because, yeah, we got a lot. Um, and Brian reminded me, it had been a minute since we have given sort of our traditional editorial note. So with Future State kicking off this week, uh, I'm going to lead with a reminder. The books we talk about are by our choice the books we like. We If we get to a book and don't like it, we usually don't talk about it. We want to stay positive. Um, that doesn't mean that books we don't talk about are all bad. We don't read everything either. Um, <laughs> just to say that, like, it, 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 it's not that we like every single thing we read. We just only talk about the things that we do like. Yeah, it is, it is a choice. Um, yes. and on the rare occasion that we do, do have some negative criticism we need to address, we still try to address that with nothing but, you know, respect for the creative teams that are. Correct. Working on those books, because it's a hard job, and comics are a hard thing to pull off. That said, let's jump into it. Um, Let's do it. We're going to start with Dark Knight's Death Metal, number seven, which is the the end of an era, and the beginning of a new era, in in literal and editorial senses both. Yeah, I was was shocked at how much, so, yeah. Like, I knew it was going to be to an extent, but, like, I didn't realize it was going to be quite this delineated, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think it's, you know, it's funny to talk about it as a delineation, because in a lot of ways, what this book does, and we've known this basically all along, I think maybe technically this is a spoiler, but we know the existence of Future State, and there's no way not to acknowledge this. This puts all of continuity back into play. Yeah, this is this is the culmination of what was promised in Rebirth. Yes. Yep. Um, if it has happened so in, in, a, in a in a way, it's very fitting that it's kind of the end of the Rebirth era. Yes. Yeah. And in in a lot of ways, it's also the the end of the post Flashpoint era. Correct. In, in a much larger sense. Yep. Um I think I think it is worth mentioning here something that James Tynan mentioned in one of his newsletters last week which is that sort of his strategy going forward is everything has happened but also the things that conflict with each other we're not going to draw attention to that. And I feel like that's probably right. sort of going to be the ethos going forward uh yep. unless there's something that just has to be in an alternate universe because hey we've got infinite universes and basically infinite multiverses now um then it's just you know 
almost a Doctor Who time resolves itself kind of vibe. Yep. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, I kind of think of it as, you know, it, it, it's like you're walking along a road and and the road splits and goes apart and then comes back together. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't really matter which path you took. And they both exist, but now you're on this whatever path going forward. And that is a nihilist's interpretation of Robert Frost. <laughs> there you go, yes. Choices don't matter. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's the title for this episode, Sliding Dorks. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, you you know, we kind of mentioned the, the, the end of the Rebirth era and, and the end of the New 52. And in a way, it, it goes all the way back to Crisis on Infinite Earth. It does. Um, yeah. I mean, I think in a very direct sense that Superboy Prime issue, uh, yes. Secret Origins, makes that clear that this is going all the way to that. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And again, so everything happened. Everybody remembers everything that happened, even if they were different, you know, things. Yes. Different, different versions or reboots or whatever so i want to talk less about the the bulk of this issue and more about sort of the things we learn about consequence of this issue you good with that yeah i think that's the right way to go so the first and most immediate one and this is something that's been i think made obvious by solicitations for 2021 wonder woman has ascended to some higher plane of existence that's that's yes Sort of the cost is she is now responsible for guiding and protecting this universe, this multiverse. Yeah, and this was at the uh, condition, I guess is the right word to say, um, of the siblings would be the best way, I think, to describe them, of Perpetua. Yes. The, the, the ones who initially came and locked her away in yes. the source wall. So in, yep. in a way, it's like Wonder Woman is taking her place, not locked away, but as sort of the person steering this slice of existence. Yeah. So that's thing one. Uh, and it is known in continuity that she is no longer there. It doesn't seem like people know exactly what has happened, just that she has made some kind of sacrifice. Yep. Uh, the other, I think, big thing that we learn here is that the structure of the multiverse has changed. And this is maybe kind of a wonkish thing to get into, so I'll, I'll tread lightly. But before now, the, the Earth Zero, the, the main DC continuity, has been the, the single point on which, like, it's like the stopper in the drain. If you pull it out, everything else goes away. Yes, it's the keystone. Yes. It is. Uh, that is no longer the case. Correct. It is no longer structurally the linchpin that holds reality together. Uh, but it's also no longer, like, the source of any kind of cosmic power. There are two, two universes that are identified as having high-energy readouts of opposing energy forces. Uh, and we learn this, this is kind of thing to be... At a secret moon base that is invisible, except the people who know how to find it, where a team of half-heroes and half-like immortal anti-heroes slash villains, is that, I think, a fair way of describing Like, Vandal Savage is one of them. Vandal Savage, Talia, and Lex yeah. are the ones that we see immediately, yeah. So, 
sort of your lawful evil corner. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's a fair uh, statement. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Um, and we get the implication that maybe Wally West is going to be important in in divining what this new status quo is and how it plays out. Yep. Uh, which there are there is speculation based on things Scott Snyder have said that his next big project will actually be a Wally West book. That would be very cool. Yes. Anything. Anything else you want to hit on death metal? We're going to try to keep this one pretty quick because there's so much to cover. Yeah, the only the only two things I want to mention are one is the the one of these two kind of new high energy things that they mentioned is something called the, the, a, an actual planet that they're calling Elseworld, which I think is very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other is uh, after they win, essentially um, we get a a, a double page spread where they talk about uh you know uh, at at the end of the first uh dark nights they threw a party for all the heroes mm -hmm. and this time they throw a party for all the heroes and villains and normal people and we literally have jaro standing there playing cowbell while the <laughs> band plays other things and that was just <laughs> had to be mentioned uh oh you actually remind me of one other thing <laughs> and we we don't see any direct examples of this. This will be borne out, I'm sure, across the infinite frontiers uh, uh, books. But it is acknowledged that there are people who were dead who are alive again now as a result of correct. Of this. Yes, we yep. don't know who. Yeah, and I almost I I almost get the impression that was done as kind of part of the same. You know, everything's back on the table. In that they want to leave it open. If somebody wants to write a hero that had passed, now they have the 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 justification for yeah. doing so. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to Future State. And I have arranged these books a little differently, or a little more intentionally maybe, than just, okay, here's alphabetical order. There is a published timeline of when each of these books take place. Yeah. Uh, so I have ordered these by what year they are set in in the future of the dc universe and to share with our readers not only has alex ordered them in the timeline order alex has created this absolute i, I can describe it as nothing other than an excel murder board that, <laughs> honestly that it's adobe illustrator but the murder board part i was like halfway through I'm like why am i not just using red thread <laughs> because it is like, oh, well, you can follow it in chronological order, or you can follow a hero through all of these different titles, or you can follow this. It's like, oh my god, Alex. Well, so. Okay, I was thinking back to <laughs> Rebirth and some of the Marvel, like, when Marvel renumbered everything, and we put out the list of, okay, if you are, because yep. it used to be a big part of the DNA, show, DNA of our show that we try to, like, if you are new to comics, here is where you can start yes um and by the way the, i will say on whole since you bring that up right now this is a very good jumping on point. yes yeah and that is the thing that kind of drove this was oh i can make like a quick cheat sheet of if you care about this character what books should you read and then i started actually mapping it out and it turned into something i might still post it 
But if you are listening, please understand this looks more terrifying than I think anything involved in it actually is. I was going to say, because the idea would be to simplify it for somebody who is new who wanted to find out what to read. And all he would do is scare the hell out of them and drive them away from comics forever. I finished one that is just the Gotham books, which admittedly (laughs) is probably the most complicated one. That, that, That is fair. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I can never, ever release this. <laughs> so if you want it, I mean, you know what? it intimidated D- me, if that tells you anything. DM me, at AlexLavelle2005 on Twitter, and I will just send it to you. There you go. Oh. Okay, so we are going to start with the two books set in 2025. Um, and which, which order did you read them? Did you read Batman or Harley Quinn first? Uh, I believe I read Harley Quinn first. I did as well. Um, I'm not sure if that's what was intended or not. I, I honestly, I'm not sure they had an intention for it. Maybe not. I, I think you get a pretty clean view of the status quo either way. Yeah. I think there are maybe some more specifics in the Batman book. Agreed. Um, let's start with Batman and then we'll Harley Quinn after that. All right. The the feature story in this, this is the next Batman. Yeah, so is remember this the next Batman. Yeah, I was going to say remember this is some of these will have backup stories in them yes. as well. So, yeah. So when he Alex says the main story we're talking, you know, the the lead long story that's in it. Yes, that is correct. So this is written by John Ridley with art by Nick Darrington. Amazing choice, by the way. Yes. And colors... Colors are uh, Tamra Bonvillain. Yes. And I mean this in actually the most positive way. I did not remember at first glance that this was Nick Darrington. I love Nick Darrington's art. And Mm -hmm. I associate it with such a bright, almost pulpy vibe. And this has an inky... A lot of it is Tamra Bonvillain's colors. But this has yes. an inky, saturated, almost Batman the Animated Series feel that I think is really, really great for setting something in the future, but also making it feel classic and approachable. Yep, I agree 100%. And, there just, and, and just some of the choices of how things were drawn, and specifically I'm looking at, hang on, I want to find out what page it is. Uh, once, once we get to the art, it's one, two, three... It's the fourth page of art, that bottom left panel, where there's like a flashlight on Batman, and he's like got his arm up kind of blocking. It looks super, super like old school, 30s, 40s type Batman. Yeah, like, I feel like some some either promo image or old cover that I've seen before, like, I immediately thought of that as, is this a reference to something? I didn't go back and try right. to find one. And I, I don't think it is specifically a reference. I think it's more of an homage to kind of yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, it. but like, that's the feel that you get in this. And I love it. Yeah. So we have a new Batman uh, in a Gotham where it is illegal to wear a mask. Gotham mm-hmm. is controlled by the magistrate. And Harley Quinn will focus on this too. Um, we see Batman through most of this issue, dealing with folks who are committing crimes in masks and doing his best to, like, scare them out of crime while also keeping them out of the police's hands. Right. It's not a Batman who, like, ties folks up and calls Jim Gordon. This is a Batman who is working 
as a buffer between the law and people, which means that sometimes he has to let the villain go or let the the criminal go in order to give them a chance to do better. The the issue at one point has him dealing with this pair of kids who are trying to uh, join a Bane-themed game, the Bane-litos. And to do so, they have to kill someone. And he stops. He stops them. And he gives them the chance to get away before they're in the system. Yep. Um, I love the writing in this book. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, the, the other thing that's probably worth mentioning as part of that status quo is... Um, the police are not all on board with uh, the magistrate. There is definitely a, at least a faction of the police who kind of don't like how this is being run. Yeah, they're, they're privately yeah. questioning, at least. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, we also, we know just through like comics news who Batman is. This issue right. doesn't say explicitly. I think if you're only reading the comic, it maybe sets up well, it's one of these two characters. Right, it gives you a couple of choices. Um, we also learn that maybe there is someone uh, in the GCPD or magistrate. We're not really sure what the relationship between Gotham City Police and the magistrate is. If right, if the police force even exists as such, or if it's been absorbed by the magistrate. Uh, but there is someone maybe out there who is helping criminals commit one crime, one crime only, and then they have to stop. Right. Um, so there are some puzzle pieces. This is one of the few four-issue series, so we'll get more in a couple weeks. Uh, the next story in this is Outsiders, which if you read the most recent volume of, this definitely feels like it is picking up the threads that it left behind and running with them. Um, I talked about that last issue of that run being a great ending and a really strong final issue, but also making me want to see more and making me ask questions about what comes next. And this very directly teases possible answers to those questions. Um, So I think it does a great job of that and of connecting back. I don't think you have to have read that for this to work for you. I would agree with that. I forget, Brian, did you read? Did you read that Outsiders run? I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I I one hundred percent agree. And I I love the setups that we get in this story. Yes. Yeah. This is uh, Brandon Thomas writing. Uh, Sumit Kumar is uh, pencils, and uh, Sumit Kumar and Raul Fernandez uh, inked with Jordi Belair doing colors. Yeah. I I am not surprised. This is Jordi Belair coloring. There are some really. No. Really great, especially the pages with Black Lightning. Just astonishing color work here. Yes. I love, and this art style is so different from what we see a lot. Um, It's almost, God, it's almost old newsprint style, you know, with the dots. See, I was... But, But at a resolution that is so high that... It truly, really blends this time. I, if that makes any sense, I get exactly what you're saying. I uh, like, and I don't know how to describe it other than that. It uses, so, like, I think, more like blocked color and shading and shadow in color blocks yep. than strong detail, um, which like gives it a lot of ability to control focus and play with layout. It reminds me a lot of like 
a creator-owned commentary on superheroes that you'd see from, like, Image yep. or somewhere like well, that. Well, it's almost like, you know how when you, when you color with a pencil or with colored pencils, right? Mm-hmm. You get, because of the texture of the paper, you almost get dots, but they're so analog and fine yeah. that they just, it blends. So it almost looks like that, in a way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is... I love it, by the way. I, I think it's gorgeous. Yeah. There is an amazing double-page spread in here, which we've seen uh-huh. comics do this before. There's an issue of Moon Knight that is, yep. like, super well-known at this point for this. Um, you mean the Family Circus double panel here? Yes. <laughs> that is... It's, it's like, was was the movie The Raid or The Raid 2? Uh, I don't remember. Um... But there's a movie that came out a few years ago. I think it was The Raid 2 that, like, after that, we started seeing a lot of spreads like this. Yeah. Uh, that is just a cross-section of a building with a fight scene playing out where each room is a panel and time flows across. And down. Across yep. and down. Like, you follow the path and the staircases and all that. Yeah. Um, and we just saw it a couple of weeks ago in Homesick Pilot. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I love it. I'm a sucker it. for that kind of layout. I think it takes incredible technical skill. Agreed. And I was excited to see that in here. Um, and then finally, oh, this story will continue in the next Batman number three. Yep. Uh, the final story here is called The Arkham Knights, or just Arkham Knights. Um, this is about a group of Arkham inmates led by Astrid Arkham, who was... Mm-hmm. Introduced as the Arkham Knight in Detective Comics, what, 1000, 1001? One of those yeah. right there, yeah. Um, And basically the idea here is they are resistance fighters against the Magistrate. Uh, it very much seems to be the case that Arkham is controlling the members of her team chemically, and that includes Dumpty and Zaz and... Clayface. Clayface, Two-Face. She calls them all by by more uh, proper names. Mr. Clay, Mr. Dent, Mr. Dumpty, Mr. Zaz. Uh, As this opens up, they are looking for a new member for their ranks, uh, who turns out Mm -hmm. to be Killer Croc. And at the end of this, they have some other target that they're going to go after. Uh, I think this story probably does the most work to give specifics about the magistrate and how it operates. Yeah. About how it's divided into districts and each district has a peacekeeper that is over it. Yes. Yeah. For my taste, I think it spends a little too much time on the specifics and does a little too much work to kind of leave us guessing what's going on in its story. Uh, what it almost made me think of is like if this had been the first issue of even like a six issue miniseries. Exactly. Right? Yes. It probably would have been fine. But to be half of I think sixteen total pages of story. Right. Yeah. It was. It, it spent a lot of time on setup in a story that doesn't have enough time to spend that much on setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. The art is solid, though, and the coloring, oh, yeah. which is by Gabe Eltabe, is just standout. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, moving on to Harley Quinn. Oh. 
this was the first future state book i read and this is i think if i had to pick a top three from this week this would be in it this would be in it absolutely and there are several reasons for that not just one um well we we are i think well documented as loving simone de mayo's art we are if you are reading you only find them when they're dead this is that art style but in a Harley Quinn book. And I am 100% going to mention uh, Tamara Bonvillon again, because uh, the colors in this are just insane. Oh, I didn't realize she colored this. I thought... Yes. I thought DeMeo usually colored himself. But the colors in this are super bright, super, like, like animated colors. Yes. Like, just amazing oh my god it's so good yes thank you for catching that yeah um so like it made me think of isola in in like that color popping yes yeah so the basic premise here is harley quinn has been captured by uh the magistrate Mm -hmm. and the the doctor who has been assigned to her is one dr jonathan crane Yes. A rehabilitated scarecrow working for the magistrate. And he gives her an offer. You can just rot because you're not important enough or threatening enough for us to kill you. Or you can help me take down other masked villains. Correct. And she makes kind of the obvious deal um, because she is so, so much smarter than Crane and you know is also <laughs> playing him. <laughs> <laughs> like you can and i love that like they don't even kind of try to hide it from the audience it's so obvious that she is kind of the one in control this whole time yeah um like if you if you are one of those people like me who's like who is so often in the position of wondering why people don't let harley be smarter i'm not talking just in the oh she gets wrapped around the joker's finger way like that's a cycle of abuse that has nothing to do with intellect or intelligence. But just, if you are, if you question why don't writers remember she's a doctor, she has medical training, all of this, this book 100% makes that, I think, central to who she is. Yeah, and this is what I love about that. that You are absolutely right. And kind of like how the Joker is able to, without having any superpowers, manipulate and be completely in control of yeah. the situation. She does that here, but, like, not in the same insane intimidation kind of way. Just purely in a... her brilliance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to point out about the setup here, with Scarecrow being a key figure in this future, and our knowing that the magistrate is coming in part in in you know once we're back to the the current day timeline, uh, we know the magistrate is coming to Gotham. We will see like its inception. But Brian, do you remember who the villain of the next Dark of Batman is? It's Scarecrow. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're already seeing some of the like direct peace movement yeah like some of some of the direct players who will be march april may on the board we're kind of seeing how they could the positions they could be moved into in the next year let's say yeah if this was not my favorite it was 
it, it was definitely in the top two for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about it? No, I, I can't heap enough praise on this. No, this is fantastic. I am so excited for this ongoing. Me uh, too. We have not said Stephanie Phillips's name out loud yet, and we should do that before we move oh, we on. We absolutely should. Incredible work here. Now we jump two years into the future to 2027 mm-hmm. for The Flash. This is probably overall the book that I have the most mixed feelings about. There are some things I really, really love about it. That's that's a fair statement. Um, And I want to just get out of the way the thing that is, I think, just not anything to do with the creative team or the writing or art in it, just me personally. I'm a little burnt out on the, oh no, Wally West is a threat plots. Yeah, the the whole the whole plot choice is, but that being said, the execution of that plot choice, I'm happy with. Yes, and I think this, this bears out a really cool idea in response yep. to that, which is the Flash family, without any powers, uh, well, the surviving Flash family, without any powers, yeah. does the only thing they can do to try to save Wally from whatever has a hold on him, and uses all the rogues' tools and weaponry and their experience fighting the rogues to pull off heists and get what they need to try to save Wally. Yeah, the idea that these, essentially these rogue weapons that, you know, that all of these rogues designed to defeat Flash, right? Um, That Flash can use them better than they can to defeat Flash Uh is amazing. Yeah. I love that idea. Um, we also get, if if you are a person who reads all the text in a panel, uh, like art text, not word balloons, right? we get a little bit of world building here. Uh, the book opens at Checkmate headquarters. Oh, right. Yep. And we learn that Checkmate is involved in sending Task Force X to Earth 3 which will be the Suicide Squad future state book, um, and that they're also uh, giving orders to Steve Trevor, who is pursuing Cobra, and to uh, Sasha Bordeaux, who is leading a team including Midnighter, who will have a backup in, uh, I forget which book, I think it's one of the Superman books. Uh, And other characters in Kondok. We know there's a Black Adam backup that will be focusing on him in Future State as well. Yep. So those books all presumably will have something to do with what Checkmate is up to. Agreed. Um, I am happy to see Max Mercury and Jay Garrick in action. Me too. Super excited about that. I love Bart and his love of using Rainbow Raiders goggles. (laughs) Yep. Um, I always like seeing Avery more. I'm glad I that... Love, yeah, I do love Avery, yeah. I'm glad that Avery is in this roster, uh, because I feel like it would have been easy for a creator to come and say, okay, well, we'll leave her in Josh Williamson's run. Right. Uh, but this sort of cements her as, I think, an immediate part of the Flash family. Which I am all behind, yes. Yep. Um, and I think other than, again, that premise I bump into, there are some really fun ideas here. Uh, agreed yeah I, I like i said i love the execution and so at this point it is literally like the last page is barry walking into his lab with all of this rogues gear that he that he that they've amassed 
and trying to figure out how he can stop Molly. Yes. Without super speed, but with all of this. Yeah, love it. All right. Now we jump another three years into the future to 2030 and the Superman of Metropolis. I'm not sure what I expected to happen here, but it wasn't this, and I love this. Yeah, it was not this, and I, I can't say I'm disappointed. Part, part of it is I'm, I wasn't sure what to expect, so yeah. that was fair. Um, we are in a Metropolis that is without Clark. Uh, John is the acting Superman. Mm-hmm. And one of the things this deals with is no one around him really thinks he can fill Clark's shoes. Correct. And, and I'll be honest, that's the one thing I bumped on. Because one of those people who isn't sure that he can do that is uh, 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 Kara. I can absolutely see that. I think, I think that there is something in the plot that makes that make a li- work a little more for me. That's you're right. That's that is fair. Um, let, let's introduce the other kind of main character of this before we get there, though. <laughs> okay. Um, the TLDR: John and Kara fought Brainiac, and won. And then capitalists tried to turn him into technology. And now there are basically Brainiac Cybertronics in everyone in Metropolis. And the mainframe or whatever built from the leftover skin cells of Brainiac, called Brain Cells, which is great, has control over the population of Metropolis. So it's... The the issue starts kind of at the end of this chess match where John and Brainy have been Brainy or Brain Cells, there we go. Brain cells, yeah. Have tried to be one step ahead of each other all along. And uh Brainiac Brain Cells I'm not gonna struggle with that as much as I love the name. Brain Cells basically uh manipulates John into bottling Metropolis like Candor. Yes. He takes it um, to the fortress, Kara shows up, and this is this is where Kara's like, I didn't think you could handle this, and I was right. Correct. Um, I do have to say, there's there's like a, a one thing where there's like four or five panels where they talk about different encounters that John and Kara have had to deal with over yeah. these years. And the one that I absolutely have to... So it's like, you know, Brainiac, the five empires, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then there is one that is called The Time Luchadors. <laughs> yes. Well, and you... <laughs> Which... Honestly, oh. like, you know what, as as two people who read a lot of comics, yep, I assume we both went to the same thing of, oh, these are going to be characters and threads that show up in Superman in the next Oh, absolutely. Run. Absolutely. And what I love about it is, it, it is, it, you know, because you get these very, very imposing, like, serious, like, you know, like, the five empires and the golden gods of Creon, right? Like, these... Very, and then just like kind of old 60s, 70s Superman, you get these just insanely ridiculous things like the time luchadors. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's beautiful. Um, okay, I do have one thing that I don't know how I never realized this before, but it totally, totally uh, made sense when I saw this, right? Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, Kellex, the robot custodian of the fortress of solitude he is 100 percent a forerunner of uh skeets yes you know i flipped open this page as you said there's something i never noticed and saw the kellexes yeah you are absolutely right 
Yeah, like there's no doubt in my mind now he is he is somehow a forerunner of skis. Yes. So anyway. <laughs> um we should we should mention before we get too deep in it, this is written by Sean Lewis, the artist is yep. John Timms, and Gabe Eltabe is the colorist. Yeah. So here is why the 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 Kara thing doesn't bother me. I think Kara has sort of normal human doubts because she's the other person who's sort of saddled with protecting everything. I think it's partly a can we do it and partly an I don't have Cal to rely on. Is John going to be enough to back me up? That's you know what that's fair and, and more of a reflection about uh, her own fear of her about herself yes. than it is about him. And, that's fair, and I think brain cells plays that up and exacerbates that. That's yeah. that's how I read. Um, and well, as it turns out, brainy act brain cells is one step ahead of both of them. Yes. And then we have the Mr. Miracle story, the Metropolis Menagerie, mm-hmm. uh, which I like the way this issue is set up, where we start with the premise of, oh, we've bottled Metropolis, and then we get a pair of stories set basically immediately after, and then, what is it, six months after, yep. and see how everyone reacts to and deals with that, and what the ramifications of that are. Um, the Mr. Miracle story is written by Brandon Easton with art by Valentin Delandro and colors by Marissa Louise. I really love the art style on this. Yeah, it's very different from what I, I normally go for, but I really, I did like it in this. It, it is a very, it is a different style than I think David Aha or Annie Wu. Yeah. But if the common ground is strong lines and physicality and expression and a little, like, less focus on nitty-gritty detail. Yeah. I think that would be the common ground I would give all three of these. Yeah, and we should point out, this is Shiloh Norman, Mr. Miracle. Yes. Yes. Um, And he has, you know, he has a mother box, but it is running out of power. It is on super suit. Think like a power ring that's on its, you know, last 5% reserve yeah. or whatever. I don't know. But yeah. So he has to be very, very cautious about when he chooses to use it and how yes and that's what a lot of this issue centers or this story centers around and i really dig it like i don't know tons about shiloh norman i think this is a really great introduction to him Mm -hmm. again liked yeah uh that takes us to the guardian which is this is about the guardian uh who moved from new york to metropolis because metropolis has superman i don't have to be a superhero here i can just do my thing and like write the news and then the city gets bottled and there is no superman in it so uh he has to step up jimmy olsen reaches out to him to try to involve him in a conspiracy to get superman's attention not john's but cal's because clearly john's not cut out for it according to jimmy and this introduces Honest, what is it? Honest Mary? Honest Mary. Honest Mary, who is definitely the villain of the piece. I'm not sure what her end goal is. You, you almost get the, pre- the impression that, she, I mean, she is the villain of the piece, but it's almost like her motivations are good, but her methods are so flawed that she's the bad person. Yeah. Right? Well, we do get the line, like, I met your mother. Turns out you've always been a brat. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, like, very Machiavellian, let's say. 
Yeah, and uh, you know what? Almost in, in a way, almost childlike. Yes. Like she's called Honest Mary because the whole idea is no, everyone has to tell the truth. Like the truth is the only. And so she's she's very she's so idealistic that it's almost like a childlike version of yeah vision of right yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, very much liked. Uh, yeah, don't have anything bad to say about this. Yep. Then we go to Wonder Woman. The remember how I said there were probably two that were my favorites. Uh-huh. <laughs> remember how I said I could get us down to a top three? Yeah. 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 Um, our introduction to Yara Floor. I think the main Joel Jones book I have read at this point is Catwoman. Uh huh. So I expected something, I think, very grounded. And instead, I get mythical beasts and uh, moody pegasuses and Amazonian trickster spirits. And I am just so fucking here for this. Okay, so let's start with, uh, so the, the, the writing and the art is Joel Jones. Yes. And Jordy Belair's doing colors. Um, yeah, this book's kind of a little bit insane, and I love it. <laughs> It is just um, so like she is by far the most impetuous Wonder Woman we have probably ever seen. Yes, absolutely. That is the perfect description for her. Like if, if the only person that's probably ever come close was um god, oh, damn it. I want to say Ar- was Artemis? Sure, yeah. Right? I could yeah. see that. The big red-haired ponytail. Yep. Like that but yeah, like kind of reminds me of that in that she she is impulsive and impatient and yeah like all the things that diana has not been for the last few years yeah which is why putting her with this trickster spirit is so great because there's this scene where yeah the trickster spirit is sneaking her into hell into hades Mm -hmm. into the afterlife whatever the metaphor for the underworld is like a train station or airport where you go through security and all that. And there's like a couple of pages where this spirit is like talking through the little imp who runs the computer and having a really mundane conversation just to like keep his attention focused elsewhere and not question why she's bringing in Wonder Woman. Well, and to be fair, she's having a conversation with this with this little imp demon that's running this about uh, you know, potentially upgrading her membership to hell. Yes. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, you know, like if I go with the platinum version, what for? <laughs> Meanwhile, Yara Floor is like clicking the turnstile because she just wants to get moving and it won't move and it won't move and she just rips it out and it's like, didn't yeah. I tell you to keep a low profile? <laughs> uh, it's a really great pairing for this issue. And like, there's a there's a little bit of a vibe. There was especially one panel like right after they get through the gate and they're they're walking. That gave me a real, um, like, uh, uh, Beetlejuice waiting room, doctor's waiting room. Yes. Afterlife waiting room vibe, The guy right? with just his head held in his arm. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, and then it, they get to the river sticks and have to, like, pay the ferryman. And, again, just impetuous Yara Fleur, yeah. like, steals some money to get through and starts a fight and accidentally wakes up Cerberus, which they've been trying to avoid this whole time. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. Do you remember the name of the, uh, of the spirit? It was. Cause she is one of my favorite characters in this. Uh, oh, there it is. Kaipora. Yeah. So the, the, the little spirit, by the way, she, 
uh, the little spirit is presented as like a small um like she's almost chibi style almost yeah like uh yeah and like she rides on an actual boar yeah um and but like her name is kaipora and she is mischievous and plays pranks and she is absolutely wonderful yes yes um and just we cannot possibly say enough about how beautiful the art in this book is it is gorgeous Uh, and just about the time you kind of get used to the um you know kind of the flat colors which a lot of the characters have Uh uh-huh right uh, you get to like this scene with Charon coming across, and the background in it is all this swirling, beautiful, like I just like I love everything yes. about this. And like, do you, you, do you see the smoke rising about? Like, it's got like skulls in the mist, and like I don't know. I love it. I love everything. Yeah, this is one of the best books out this week. So so good. Um, and if you're paying attention to the timeline, this is set 20 years after Superman of Metropolis. In 2050. Yeah. Uh, And we have one last little jump into the future. From 2050, we jump to the year 3000. (laughs) For Swamp Thing number one. Swamp em, Swampy! Swamp em, Swampy! So, Brian, what did you think of Swamp Thing? Oh, this was... Let me guess what your third top of the top three was, Alex. Yeah, this was it. (laughs) Yeah, of course it was. Um, this was, uh, pro- I, I gotta say, you know, we, and we've said this of, of a couple of these now about, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. This was the most different from what I expected, though. Yeah? Yes. Um, essentially, um, this is kind of a, this is like a post-apocalyptic world now. Yes. Where humanity has pushed uh pushed and and destroyed the environment so much that mother earth fought back yep yeah uh and you know basically reduced them to something like 5% of the population they were before or something like mm-hmm. that like very very very, very small. small yeah and uh in order to kind of compensate for that in some ways swamp thing as a as the you know the the surviving sentient life form right uh and and we get several pages of how he kind of approached this coming throughout has essentially created life yeah. out of out of uh botanical there are these great almost splash pages of yeah. what we would typical th- typically think of as medical illustrations yeah like in- anatomical illustrations yeah instead of human tissue it is different kinds of plant tissue and how how swap things simulated life like the circulatory life. system or or vocal cords just like the hardest right. the first thing he did was come up with vocal cords and right how do you force xylem to reshape itself and create spaces to vibrate yeah um, and by the way I, if we did not mention already ram v is yes. the writer for this mike perkins and mike perkins did the art and june chung did colors yep um and yeah so essentially he has created life and it is now it now reproduces on its own and we meet like four or five of of the characters that are part of his kind of tribe yes and like we can 
he talks about how he's improved on the design over the years. And, like, we can uh-huh. kind of tell, like, some of the older members are a little more reserved or a little more passive. And some of the younger and newer ones are more inquisitive and curious and have higher aspirations. Yep. It very much reminded me of kind of the cast of The Dreaming. Yeah. If that, it, do, you, do you see that? Yeah, it's it's like, you know. You've got a figure who is kind of playing God and creating the denizens of the world around him, and they sort of yep. have their own individual traits and foibles that become almost exaggerated by yep. being the product of someone else's design. You have the character that kind of questions and uh, rebels against the choices that have been made. Who has, like... Almost, almost a Loki trickster god kind of vibe. Yeah, kind of, kind of like you know the truth seeker who tells you what's wrong, or criticizes even if you don't want to hear it, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, you have you know a a very a young girl who is like a you know the optimistic kind of person, and yeah, like uh, everything, everything about this. And one of the things we find out is Swamp Thing is looking for any remaining humans. Yeah, like it's so. Here's here's what I think makes the core of this work so well. Why would Swamp Thing create life that is like humans? Why would he be looking for humans? It's because he's lonely. It's because yep. he's got humanity in him. And as much as he is the green, he can't not... Also, like I don't think this is Alec Holland per se, although surely because of the way Swamp Thing works, he has that knowledge and those memories passed through the green. Sure. Uh, but he he is always going to have one foot each in two different worlds. And he can't just be the cause of this decimation or be part of the cause of this decimation and not try to reconnect to that human side. Like, I think it's a really strong emotional quote where that's never said explicitly. You just see that borne out through his actions. And then we come to the last page of this, which is um, the biggest shock and the most pleasant surprise of the whole thing for me. Uh huh. Because I, I, this is a character that I have loved for so long and has been so underused, in my opinion, since definitely since the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what's going on here. Tell me who it is. It's Obsidian. Yep. Yeah, like like Alan Scott's son. Yep. Um, hello. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's the the preface. He's actually captured and in, in this giant tube, and being run by this group called Obsidian Son. Yep. Yeah. And the only thing I can think of is the idea is, and this is just my. There's no real movement in this in the story just my own is you know the plan is to block out the sun so that all the plant life dies yeah that makes the most sense right? i think yeah but uh oh wow i can't wait so future state week one yeah meet your expectations uh i think so again you know we said in several cases part of it is i wasn't a hundred percent sure what to expect so sure. i kept my mind a bit open and flexible i'm glad i did um very, very much pleased on the whole. Um, I like how, given that this is just two months of what this is, right? 
for the most part, a lot of them did not spend an inordinate amount of time trying to set up a, like a whole new world. They did it, <laughs> but it was done very organically and in the place of telling the story that they just got started telling. Yes. Right? Um, and left us to either fill in the details as we go or know enough about the history of like Gotham, for instance, right? right. About the, enough about the history of Gotham that we can kind of make our own assumptions about what happened to get here. Yeah. I think as excited yeah. for this as we were and as high as yeah. our hopes were to meet and exceed our expectations is I think a really strong victory. Agreed. 100. I'm very excited about the, you know, what a what weird way for me to, to phrase with... that. <laughs> It's got me very excited into where this leads for Infinite Frontier. Yes. A little bit more DC. Uh, we have the Generations Shattered one-shot, picking up from the previous Generations uh, backups and one-shots we've seen so far. I'm going to try to to tell you what you need to know about this in a sentence. Are you ready, Brian? I am. Go, g- sentence, go. <laughs> This is like reading the first half of a collection of what feels like a really solid 1980s event. You're absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. Like yep. reading this felt to me a lot like reading last year, year before, what is time for the first time Crisis on Infinite Earths. I, I could I could see that the, the and it has a lot to do with the way the setups are written. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I would I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I think that it is I would love to have actually both this and Forged, which is the the follow-up I think end of of generations. Yep. I'd love to maybe have seen all of this released just as a big graphic novel. And I I would bet that it will. Yeah. But I mean I mean just not in single issues at all. Just put right, it out right, right, right. Like just release yeah. it together, and yeah. Um, a lot of this issue, which is oversized. This is what sixty, eighty pages. Uh, yeah, it's like an eighty-page giant. Yeah, a lot of this is Commandy building the team and kind of failing to grab the people who Booster and Skeets had planned on grabbing, right? Or having to in interpret... some cases getting that person, but yeah. in other cases, kind of missing a little bit. Or, or. Having to interpret my favorite example of just, oh, oh, Commandy, you impetuous child who admittedly is on a time crunch, literally. Commandy meets the new Teen Titans and is told, oh, you need the most powerful woman on the team. And he sees right. Starfire do something. It's like, Starfire, it must be her. And then you're left with Donna Troy, Tara, and Raven standing there being like, most powerful, not even close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I mean, it's raven (laughs) yeah yeah hands down you go to the legion of superheroes and like uh uh uh, skeets is like grab him and commandy sees superboy and brainiac so of course he grabs superboy right (laughs) um like uh, actually we needed the intelligence and the thought processes of brainiac but um okay (laughs) yeah um this is fun this is fun and goofy and I definitely can see where probably this had a specific place in DC continuity. I I almost feel like 
because you know originally this was going to be several things. It's going to be like Generations One and yeah, like and several things. Uh, right? Rom V actually in his most recent newsletter mentioned that the Swamp Thing pitch was actually originally a a, a fifth gen pitch. And part of what part of what uh, I think this would have done right is like you know during this whole reintroduction of oh all of continuity is available yeah type thing right is to be able to pull these characters from these different eras to, you know, just kind of celebrate that all of this is yeah. back again. And I like this a lot as a compliment to death metal and yeah. future state. Yep. Like, I think, I think definitely how much you dig it will depend on your taste. And I say that as someone who usually has a little trouble with, with like eighties comics and older getting into them. And I still dug it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It is. It is. Uh, and then our last DC mention. <laughs> I was going to say, the only thing that makes it not an 80s crossover is it's not nearly wordy enough. <laughs> and that honestly probably helped with that barrier to entry for me. <laughs> I know it did. Yeah, I know it That's did. a good point. Uh, our last DC, uh, book for this week, the final chapter of Injustice Year Zero. Chapter 14. Yeah, where they uh, figure out exactly what Joker is up to and how to stop him. And uh, then are very cleverly set up for, you know, what we know follows in yeah. Injustice. Yeah. Well, there's there's a new idea introduced here, too, which as someone like I'm not a big fighting game person, but every few yep. years, like I will pick up and really enjoy one. And the Injustice games have both been that for me. Um, so as someone who's played those, and I haven't read all of the Injustice comics, uh, I'm working on it, but I haven't yet. There is an idea introduced in this that makes me really excited to maybe have a hint of where an Injustice 3 could go, because, I'm gonna call spoilers here, if you don't want to hear this, jump forward to the next section. I think I know what it is, yeah. The idea at the end of this book that Alan Scott and his husband are going to go, like, outside of reality and try to find... The dead spirits of the rest of the Justice Society. Well, we don't know if they're dead spirits because literally Joker just made them disappear. I mean, and, some of them he straight up killed. Okay, a couple of them, yeah. But like, there were like five of them that just like yeah. at one time just all disappeared. And you know, they, he gets asked, where did you send them? And he was like, chaos. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But at any rate, you're, you're right. That is an important yeah. distinction. Um, it feels like it opens the door to Injustice 3 bringing yep. in Justice JSA. Society. Yeah. Yep. Which, like, I, I'm one, I'm all for more Injustice, and I'm all for bringing in those characters who, as little as they've been in the comics I've gotten to read, I have a weird amount of affection for. Yep. All right, Brian. Yes. You have a couple of new number ones to tell me about. I do. Let's start with Scout's Honor. So this is um, this is a uh, a book by Aftershock that is uh, very far in the future. I think it's uh, let's I, I'm trying to remember if it says exactly how far. Point is, uh, there was essentially a nuclear war, and people lived underground in bunkers for you know long, 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 long time. Uh, and then they came out, and one of the things that they came out with was the Ranger Scout Survival Handbook. So I will point out first, this is not like an actual Boy Scout 
handbook. This is like its own created parody. fictional scout yeah. thing, mirroring and parroting. Not parroting, you know, just using, right? Influenced okay, by. fair. Um, uh, actual Boy Scout. But that being said, they basically created this society where that was like their guiding principles. Um, and then we follow essentially our story then starts and there's, uh, this is all done in like two pages where we get that quick introduction. Cool. Um, and then we start following a a couple of people who are actual going to be our characters. One of which is going to be our main character where they're hunting a gamma boar, which is like a giant, you know, human sized boar. Uh, that has been irradiated and you know how they have to fight it off and they use their the skills that they've learned to to do this including you know archery with explosive hand grenades on them (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to kill this boar and all this and essentially what we find out i'm going to move through this real quick is that um uh, we we get a couple of things that were kind of twists in this story right one is that you know we get all kind of all of the laws of uh, of this scout thing, right? The first is always be prepared, which is you know an actual Boy Scout thing. Yep. And then a scout's duty is to protect others. A scout is forged in brotherhood beyond our sisters and wives. Um, a scout obeys a scoutmaster without question. Uh, a scout always shows mercy. Um, a scout shall not become a burden to others. And a scout's honor must never be in question. So those are like the seven laws that they have to live by, right? Well, part of that is, um, of course, you know, only males are admitted into the scouts. Da, 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 da. Yeah. The first revelation we get, which is not really a surprise, I kind of guessed that it was going to go here, is that our main character, who is the most competent at this point, uh, uh, she is actually <laughs> a her posing as a as a male uh for this so that she, and you know so there's there's that whole reveal and then we get uh what is going to be kind of uh I think the more ongoing thing which is there's this group called the highwaymen which are attacking and taking out settlements and they begin to send um this uh you know they send basically a reconnaissance group consisting of a couple of uh, of these scouts to go find out exactly what they're doing and they come across where they're at, and um, basically sh- our main character decides to stay there and observe while the other goes back for reinforcements, and gets attacked by this uh, essentially like a drone who re- you know recognizes her from her scout uniform and gives a holographic recording from the the founder, where we find out, and this was the actual surprise that. Um, that whole program of the Ranger Scouts was to enlist male delinquents to try to uh, focus them and curb their their violent tendencies by giving them something to focus on and teaching them some, uh, you know, essentially gi- giving them a, a part of something, allowing them to become a part of something. Uh, and that they should not be trusted though and they it turns out they actually killed the founder Oops. and she she learns this secret and that's where we end <laughs> so there are some very clever twists to this and it's not just a trope use of this as something going forward cool yeah 
You also read The Last Witch, number one. Okay, so, uh, yeah, this will be uh, related to Jen, because this is a 100% must-read book for Jen. Um, and essentially, this could easily be a Netflix-like uh, Kipo you know, story, oh, cool. or uh, you know, maybe a... Uh, um, she-ra type story this could i, I can 100 percent see this being turned into like a netflix show like that awesome uh, and it is just as good as those it is wonderful and we get introduced to our character who is very different whose mother has died and you know she's always been told she's special etc and we're in this world where uh everybody very very much stays within the village and doesn't go beyond the hedge because they somewhere don't go over the garden a, wall? Right. Somewhere out there is a tower that where the witch lives, right? And our our protagonist very much on her, I think it's her 12th birthday, uh, is, um, you know, scraping for an adventure and feeling trapped in the city and all of the, and you know, in the village. And, uh, you know, uh, basically goes on an adventure and at the end ends up finding this crumbled tower that is the the witch's castle and uh has her brother with her and um then he disappears and that's kind of where we end so 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 good though i cannot wait for more of this uh and this is one of five this is going to be a five issue run awesome yeah over at marvel we had eternals begin this week um which I really dug. It feels simultaneously very Kieran Gillen, and in one way very against type for Kieran Gillen. Uh, the latter being, yeah. this is kind of an almost buddy comedy adventure that's told with very, like, slow character-driven pacing. Uh, and he actually talked about that in his newsletter this week. I read too many of these newsletters, Brian. Um, but they're very good and there's a lot of good like information <laughs> and here's, here's, you know, here's how I'm approaching this book. Cause Eternals is this huge mythology that nobody knows. Clearly. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I don't know it. Yeah. Um, I did not know this. Eternals was not created as part of Marvel's continuity. It was eventually folded in after its creation. You know what? That makes a whole lot of sense because yeah. I gotta say, reading this and like being exposed to kind of what the Eternals was, it very, very much struck me as a uh, like an authority or a uh, uh, valiant line yeah. of like something that was different and had its own characters and continuity and history and all you know world, so yeah. to speak. Well, so I mean, it makes sense that it was that and then folded in. As much as Jack Kirby worked in, like, creating mythologies and defining new mythologies and riffing on old ones, this was in the same sort of fourth world was that, that kind yeah. of attempt. Yep, yep, yep. Um, our two main characters through this are Icarus and Sprite. Uh, Icarus is, and it's it's kind of that same dynamic we see in Wonder Woman, right? The sort of, in this case, more impatient than impetuous. Like yes, um, warrior Icarus, uh, who is the last Eternal to be revived, and I love that Eternals get revived like mutants. Yes, um, he is the last Eternal to be revived after all the Eternals died back in Avengers, like number 
I don't know, six or something. And the the leader of the Eternals was it Zorus Zerus? Uh Zorus. Zorus. Uh says, Hey, while you're there, will you release one of the Eternals who's been imprisoned? So there are always one hundred Eternals and one hundred deviants, which are like the evil eternal counterparts. But when an, Although they're not always evil. Right. We 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 right. get to that too. Yeah. Um but in the in the sort of good versus evil dichotomy that's, right. that's sort of the foundation of the society. Yeah, they're the Decepticons, yes. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, love it. Um But when an eternal does something bad, like get bored because they're immortal and stuck in the form of a child and want to get to grow up but can't and then kill all the other Eternals. Uh, they get basically put in Eternal Jail, and their names are not spoken out loud. And Zorus asks Icarus, hey, while you're there, will you let out Sprite? Icarus wants no part of this, but he does it, because it's how it works. He's like, this is going to go badly. And then ends up, like, chasing Sprite to Earth, just because Sprite is, as her name implies, a trickster. Mm-hmm. And they see Tony Stark, and then Icarus, and this is... This is where it kind of, like, starts taking time and breathing in a way I'm not used to Gillen doing, but really, Doug. It then becomes just like, okay, yeah, let me show you around Earth and, like, how things have changed and how they've stayed the same. And, yep, that's Iron Man. Cool. Uh, they end up fighting a Deviant, and this is where we learn that, like, most Deviants are actually pretty chill, kind of just, like, hyperactive puppies. And then every now and then there's a bad one that will, I don't know, be a vampire monster or something. Or giant Cthulhu thing or something, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, Alex, this does have my quote of the week, though. Brian's quote of the week. Quote, quote. Which is, so, the machine is basically the, the construct that, like, brings back, you know, it, it, it runs everything for the Eternals. And it, narrates the book, which I think is and fucking brilliant. And narrates the book, yeah. So, like, it runs the teleportation system, and it run, it runs the, you know, the mechanism for Brent, for birthing them again if they die and yeah. like everything right and so um basically when when icarus finally catches up to sprite and, and sprite's like what did i do you grew bored of your station of eternal child you almost destroyed the machine in order to free yourself from it oh wow that, that's awful that that doesn't sound like the sort of thing i do i must have been very bored <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yes. Um, and like, this was one uh, of the things Gillen talked about is no one knows these characters. So he sort of has to consciously take his time and introduce them and who they are and yeah. what is like unique about them. And I think this issue does that super well for these two characters. I I agree. I agree. Um, they return to Immortal Town. Um, there's a or Eternal Town. There's a different name for Eternal Town. It's not called Eternal Town, but what? I'm still learning what everything's called. Yeah, well, there's so like there's there's these different um like I said these different locations that the machine is connected to that are these um uh kind of areas where where things have been yeah. created outside right? of perception. And this one is like hiding behind Mount Olympus. Guess who Zorus gets mistaken for? And Icarus gets mistaken for. Right. Well, and what I love is some of these are like insane. Like the exclusion is the place where uh, we start our story. Yeah. And the exclusion is sealed between six artificial molecules secreted beneath the South Pole. And we end the story 
between two seconds in the past and three seconds in the future. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, okay, these these things are amazingly I and I, I more than anything, I think this is probably the book that reminded me of the authority in yeah. that kind of respect. Where it's just like these kind of insane out there notions of how these things exist yeah. where they do. Here are all these rules that govern reality that you know nothing about and will never Correct. be affected by. Exactly. Um while Icarus and and uh Sprite, Sprite are off on their buddy cop adventure. Zorus gets mur- murdered. Moited. Moited, I say. Zorus gets murdered, and Sprite is, like, the obvious... Uh, uh, choice. The obvious choice Suspect. for... Suspect. Yes. Because yeah. um, it turns out it was... It was Zorus who killed her, but Icarus knows it wasn't Sprite, so, like, they rush off to try to solve the mystery. And that leads them to whose doorstep? Spoilers. Uh, well, I'll tell you, they go to Titanos, if that gives you any... Uh clue there um yeah it, it's it's thanos yeah i love i love the the machine's narration there at end thanos is how to put this thanos death thanos knows what he is <laughs> yep yeah. uh very very clever writing which i would expect nothing less from from Kieran yeah i this was my, I had no clue what to expect and was absolutely wowed book. Also, Isad Ribic and Matthew Wilson's art is just, uh, like, yeah. ethereal and beautiful. Agreed. All right. We are going to take a quick trip to Krakoa. First for X-Factor, number six. Holy crap, I love this book. Okay, help me out with something. I'm going to just, like, cut straight into it. Okay. Siren is not a character I know. What is this entity possessing her? That I don't I don't know either. Oh, so Siren okay. is Siren is a character that I I know of, but like I it, it was for the most part she all of her adventures took place after I had stopped reading. Gotcha. So I don't know either. Okay. I should have googled it. Damn. <laughs> but I do love everything else about this book i mean i love that too but i love everything i love this whole x factor csi thing going on yes the whole let me learn to be a crime scene investigator by watching you is beautiful and then the oh yeah i started a body from you did what yeah well and 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 like um iboy is um <laughs> like using his 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 all of his different visions to examine the you know the 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 scene and the the body right yeah for all these microscopic clues and all this and uh you know there's like a normal forensic police person a csi tech there like gather you know talking to him about well this is what you'd be looking for and trying to gather that evidence and <laughs> he's like oh yeah i could do that rachel can you see what i'm doing can you like you know use your telepath to see what I'm seeing and then, you know, interpret that and record it. And they're like, yeah, why did we just do this from the start? He was like, well, yeah, we could, but you know, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. <laughs> <laughs> the human CSI person. It's like, Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. The best. So I, I looked up this entity, Brian. Yes. And you're going to feel as dumb as I did. Uh huh. Mystical entity represented by a bunch of crows or ravens or whatever. If you cross reference that against say a Kieran Gillen, character oh uh um yeah from uh wicked divine it's the morrigan 
the Morgan. Yeah. Okay. That would that would that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love I love everything about. It. <laughs> There's one point where they're questioning Siren and like she's obviously lying to them and runs out, and then we get these four panels of yeah. There's literally four people in here you can't lie to, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, all good. Then we have Hellions number eight. So let me tell you, Alex Summers is at some point going to just tear apart Krakoa and be completely justified when he does it. No shit. Like, like the consistency with which he is having to face the worst decisions Krakoa is making. And you know what's funny is, like, it's kind of the same thing that Scott was seeing that chose him to leave the service of the Quiet Council, yeah. right? And, like, start this X-Men thing. But, like, but Alex is thrown on literally the worst team. There's gotta be, like, I don't know still who is pulling the strings to make him be there. But, like, he doesn't want to be a part of this team. Right. He's not the insane sadomasochist that most of its members are. Yep. He's asked repeatedly to leave, and is being forced to witness the worst things. Like, someone has to be pulling his strings to, like, turn him into a weapon. I, like, I, yeah, I don't... Uh, you're, it, there's definitely something more going on here that we're not seeing yet. Yeah. Um, But yeah, this is just... I, I, I love how they're not pulling punches about the brutality of the, some of the decisions that Krakoa makes. Yeah. Right? And it's given the history of some of the people on the Quiet Council. Uh-huh. You can 100% see why these decisions are being made. Yeah. I mean... I mean, we get the data page at the end of this about the Krakoan policy on anti-mutant AI, and it makes sense. But it takes no account for, okay, well, this is a sentient AI. It has decided mutants are friends, but we still kill it because it, no one knows that. Did did you guys not pay attention to Iron Man 2020? For real. <laughs> like, this whole thing just happened with AI around the world and the idea that, no, they actually are sentient entities that deserve rights and things and... Yeah, I guess unless you're a mutant, and then you're going to treat them like people have treated mm. mutants in the past. Well, mm. but it goes back to, I mean, <laughs> hello, let's get entirely too serious for a moment, uh, and I promise I'll keep it, click, keep it quick. It's the entire premise behind nationalism and conservatism. You always have to have yeah. some group to be afraid of for the right wing to consolidate its power, and... Part of, I think, what is inherently terrifying about the Krakoan setup that we've we've observed since the beginning is the Quiet Council is essentially a small autocratic body. It is yes. authoritarian by nature. Yep. Well, and AI in, in particular is understandable for them because, you know, it is what gives rise to Nimrod, which is what has always destroyed all the mutants. Sure, but how in how many realities do they have friends of do they have friendly AI who they're on good terms with? Yeah. So like I, this, I, I, yeah. Not not finding your allies and not building those bridges feels like the kind of, of like self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Where you create what you're afraid of, yeah. Right. Um also Nanny adopts a baby. AI. Oh boy. Because Nanny gonna Nan. Nanny gonna Nan. 
Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Mistakes were made. Uh, now for a very quick, quick King and Black wrap-up. Okay. Uh, Venom number 32 deals with the ramifications of Eddie's death, which, as it turns out, because of the whole uh, Codex thing that Venom hosts have going on, he's now part of this, like, knowledge bank that he can move in in a unique way because of how long he's had a symbiote, which reunites him with Rex and another Venom host, who I won't name. Uh, So there is still, like, some hope for Eddie in this way. Guardians of the Galaxy number 10 is a really, really interesting piece of King and Black. There was at one point in Venom and the King in Black build-up, this acknowledgement of an opposite of Null, this god of light. And Star-Lord, back in number nine, had had a bit of retconning happen where some light god entity turned him into a Star-Lord. And we learned, like, oh, hey, the elemental gun has way more power, and the only thing keeping it from unlocking its true potential is Star-Lord's will, and... After a century of, like, self-discovery and all of that, uh, he has returned to shortly after he was thought to be dead. And now, like, he can fight off Null's dragons single-handedly, almost. But there's an entire Greek pantheon after him ready to kill him, so he can't go to Earth without also calling the gods down on them. Um, It's a lot. Like, it sounds like entirely too much for an issue, especially in, you know, this century. But it's Al Ewing, and he pulls it off so, so well. It's also a gorgeous issue. Juan Cabal is the artist, and Federico Blee colors it. I'm not sure that I'm familiar with Blee's work, but it is absolutely gorgeous. It is almost like a almost like a Matthew Wilson in, like, control of lighting and mm, color choice. It. And then finally, we have Return of the Valkyries number one which you also read right brian i did i did read yes this is the same creative team that was writing the valkyrie ongoing before Mm -hmm. uh it was canceled and this deals directly with century's death in king and black number one Hmm. hey guess do you know who the colorist on this was alex who's that uh tamra bonvillain yep believe it (laughs) totally um this also introduces one of the original nine valkyries yes i really dug this what did you think i i I did too i like um i I think we all knew that at some point jane foster was you know that that the valkyries multiple had to return right Right. um i i like how they're doing this I, i like the the kind of the framing device for this which is I I mean not reading King and Black I did not realize what happened in number one, yep. Which is kind of where this opens, uh, and that is apparently that Null um absolutely ripped Century apart and killed him. Yeah, I mean I I think I mentioned when it happened that he dealt with Century that it wasn't even a fight. It's literally like half a page. Century shows up and Null just like grabs his shoulders and tears him in two. Ugh! Wow. Um. Yeah, I believe uh, as he as Century describes it as yes, like yesterday's newspaper. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and Valkyrie shows up. Jane shows up to escort him to Valhalla. Yes. Uh, and so as they go, um, 
they come across this entity in the place in between, which is the the place in between, I, I assume, reality and Wherever Valhalla. people go when they die. Oh, yeah, Valhalla. Yeah, duh. Yeah, right. Uh, and um, in this in-between place, there is the headless corpse of a celestial. Do you know the only thing I could wonder when I saw that, read that? Is, is it, it the, the celestial he- that it- nowhere is body? Yeah, that's what I was. That's yeah. the exact question that I had. Is this nowhere? I really it, think it, it, it might be. Yeah, and coming out of that is this swirling, very um, Chris Bacalo style. <laughs> yeah, uh, entity of death type thing that attacks them. Right. Yeah, and in trying to defend. Uh, Sentry's spirit from this, uh, Jane actually using the all weapon breaks through uh-huh. the 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 reality, the edge of this creature, and we find out that in doing that, when she breaks through this, she's actually breaking into whatever reality that Valkyrie has been trapped in yeah it's like the series of illusions replaying her past yeah and there's also this this one line that implies that bob century got there first and like saved her and broke the cycle and then moved on and that's why she was who jane found and rescued this was super super cool but you know the result of this being that um that jane and valkyrie are both now out and yeah Yep, we will see what comes next. There are two more issues of this. Yep, I love Can't wait. Yep. Is it still good? The Wrong Earth, Night and Day, number one. Dragonfly and Stinger and Lady Dragonfly, and also Dragonfly Man and Stinger 2, all deal with pollution issues caused by mirrors, and finally the Dragonfly men come face to face the dreaming waking hours number six we check in with heather after and her uh accidental war with puck from midsummer night's dream and things do not go well for her at all sensational wonder woman number one this is the digital debut of the series that is getting a print release in march um this issue sees, like, Diana, at least in her mind, stuck in this very, like, 50s Stepford leave-it-to-beaver continuity. Uh, kind of like a Hexwives or Black Widow. Crossover number three, Brian. Ooh, good lord. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm all in and loving this book now. Um, our, our heroes begin to make some contacts. I, I say our heroes. Our main characters may see, uh, begin to make some contact with some actual heroes from within, you know, from either within or just outside the dome, and um, get brought to a group of them with a very surprising leader. Yeah, I. We're not going to say who that is. I will say this is the issue where we actually see other comics characters show up. Yes. Like in name and et cetera. Um, and it was very exciting. Not to put too much of an exclamation point on it, but that reveal at the end is amazing. Yep. Getting it together, number four. 
Uh, Lauren takes her act solo and heads to L.A. and, well, finally starts to get it together. The Amazing Spider-Man number 56, Brian. Um, We find out the true motivations of Norman Osborn in why he helped Mary Jane stop Harry. Iron Man number five. Iron Man pulls together not the team he wants. Probably, honestly, probably better than the team he deserves. Uh, But the team he can. And, well, if you haven't been reading this book, Frogman is now at its cast. Juggernaut number five. Uh, Juggernaut helps D-Cell find her place in the world, at least for the time being, and decides what direction he's gonna take going forward. Modok, Head Games, number two, Brian. <laughs> Modok and Tony go undercover, uh, to a criminal weapons convention, uh, disguised as, uh, a generic Hydra person. And Modok is like, how do you how do you disguise Modok as Arnim Zola? Because they're so often confused. For yeah. each other. <laughs> Frankly, he can't see the similarities. Miles um, Morales. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, real quick, they are exposed, and we get who Aim would have to turn to if they really wanted to kill Modok, because this may be the 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 best person to to kill Modok with. Yep. I'm so happy. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number 22. Miles is putting the pieces back together after the showdown with uh, Earth-616 Miles and uh, goes on patrol with Starling. I'm also going to break format to say we get the most important character name change in the history of comics. Miles' father no longer is named Jefferson Davis which is the most inexplicable and insane character name choice in history. <laughs> he has now changed his name to Jeff Morales. Okay. Um, and Saladin Ahmed does throw, frankly, a restrained amount of shade at Bindus for giving him that name in the first place. Uh, Thor, number 11. Jane Foster goes on a date with Donald Blake. It does not go well. Oops. This week's books, as with last week, uh, the main crux of this is future state and i'm going to run down which books are coming out this week and who their creative teams are all the future states let's do it so we have dark detectives number one of four the dark detective story is by mariko tamaki and dan mora grifter is by matthew rosenberg and carmine de gian dominico green lantern number one of two with the last lanterns by jeffrey thorne and tom rainey the book of guy by ernie altbacker and clayton henry and The Taking of Sector 123 by Ryan Cady and Sammy Bosry. Justice League, number one of two, with Justice League by Josh Williamson, Robson Rocha, and Daniel Enriquez, and Justice League Dark by Rom V and Marcio Takara. Kara Zor-El, Superwoman, number one of two, by Marguerite Bennett and Marguerite Sauvage. Robin Eternal, number one of two, by Megan Fitzmartin and Eddie Barrows. Superman Wonder Woman, number one of two, by Dan Waters and Leila Del Duca. And finally, Teen Titans, number one of two, by Tim Sheridan and Rafa Sandoval. Yes. Uh, Brian, you have a couple of issues you want to remind folks are coming out. Yes. Homesick Pilots, number two. Oh my god, number one was so freaking good. So if good. 
go get it. And number two is out this week. And yeah, like this is like already, I'm going to say this is probably going to be in contention for best book of the year. Yes. It is so good. good. Brian can barely form coherent sentences about it. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, What's the other one, Brian? Uh, Commanders in Crisis number four, which is the end of the first arc. Um, I've really enjoyed this book as well. And uh, yeah, the end of the first arc is out. So now you can pick up the whole thing if you want to get it in trade. I mean, in the uh, single issue. And I also wanted to mention Haha, number one of six. This is an image series. It is an anthology miniseries written by Maxwell Prince. The first book, the first issue uh, has art by Vanessa Del Rey. And each issue is going to be a different genre and a different artist. And they're all stories about clowns. That's all I got. You have anything to add, Brian? Nope, that's it. Then we would like to thank Chase Barker for our intro voiceover. You can visit our website at panelologypodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch, capital P, capital M. Or send us questions and comments at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Go read comics. (laughs) 